west of Mordor marched the gloomy range of Ethel Duath, the Mountains of Shadow, and upon the north the broken peaks and barren ridges of arid Lithuwe, gray as ash. But as these ranges approached one another, being indeed but parts of one great wall about the mournful plains of Lithlad and of Gorgoroth and the bitter inland sea of Nernan amidmost, they swung out long arms northward, and between these arms there was a deep defile. This was Kirith Gorgor, the haunted pass, the entrance to the land of the enemy. High cliffs lowered upon either side, and thrust forward from its mouth were two sheer hills, black-boned and bare. Upon them stood the teeth of Mordor, two towers strong and tall. In days long past they were built by the men of Gondor in their pride and power, after the overthrow of Sauron and his flight, lest he should seek to return to his old realm. But the strength of Gondor failed, and men slept, and for long years the towers stood empty. Then Sauron returned. Now the watchtowers, which had fallen into decay, were repaired, and filled with arms, and garrisoned with ceaseless vigilance. Stony-faced they were, with dark window holes, staring north and east and west, and each window was full of sleepless eyes. Across the mouth of the pass, from cliff to cliff, the Dark Lord had built a rampart of stone. In it there was a single gate of iron, and upon its battlement sentinels paced unceasingly. Beneath the hills on either side of the rock was bored into a hundred caves and maggot holes. There a host of orcs lurked, ready at a signal to issue forth like black ants going to war. None could pass the teeth of Mordor and not feel their bite, unless they were summoned by Sauron, or knew the secret passwords that would open the Morannon, the black gate of his land. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast attempts to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings, and to try to inspire a love for reading literature and finding the good, the true, and the beautiful in the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings. My name is Josh Rice. I'm one of the hosts, and with me again is my brother Jake. Say hey, Jake. Hey. Today we are on chapter three of book four. That chapter is called "The Black Gate Is Closed." It's real cheerful, as the as the yeah. name explains. And uh, I got to unveil something on the public right at the start here. It's that uh, the podcast has effectually become known in internal circles as a uh, Twilly. So, <laughs> so, so as you're, yeah. uh, th- that's the shorthand, you know, as you. Uh, go on and do the things that you do for podcasts you love. You can talk about Twilly to your friends and, uh, uh-huh. and you know, give us five-star reviews and all that kind of stuff, right? That'll right, boost us. It'll <laughs> Look, that'll boost us. Our audience will grow by fives at least if something like that happens. You know, <laughs> if we can doubt. make Twilly, if we can make that thing trend or something, we could go viral. Well, as you can see, we're we're trying to have a little levity at the start because uh, because the chapter in some ways is kind of like, I mean it's it's really intimidating and a bunch of downer stuff after the cheerful talk last week about bitterness and all that sort right. of thing. So without further ado, Jake, I'm gonna kick it to you and you can tell us what happens yeah. in this chapter. Well, I can tell you that the black gate is closed. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes, I think I did the same thing last time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's the real, chapter title. He, he's on the nose with the chapter titles in this book so far. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, so the narrative, again, is, is a pretty simple one. Um, Gollum, Sam, and Frodo make their way to the Black Gate, um, and they've they've come to it, and it's closed, and we get, really what we get is some exposition on what's happening at the gate, that there's a constant guard that the mountains are seemingly impassable, that there's a horde of orcs that changes out that live in the mountains 
you know, on at, at where the gate, like at the post of the gate where the towers of the teeth. Um, and so there's, there's some exposition about that. Um, there's some other interesting, uh, exposition is, uh, Gollum talks about ancient Gondor, um, you know, as of the tower of minus Ithil and, um, and so, and then really it's, as we move on, it's Frodo being resolute to enter through the black gate. Um, Gollum seeks to stop him, you know, and says there's another way and there's some back and forth on why he hasn't spoken of another way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and the classic answer is cause you never asked. Um, <laughs> uh, and so then, so there's more on that. And then, um, Frodo still decides that he's going to go, uh, but Gollum convinces him, uh, to take a different path. Hmm. And I mean, that's, I think that's kind of the main, right. That's the main narrative move. And so they're not gonna, they're going to skirt back North, um, away from the black gate to, uh, to the pass it. Kira Thungol, mm. um, which is, you know, the, the next, uh, you know, sunshine and daisies location right. in Mordor. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, if you think, if you think the black gate is bad, like in some ways the, the other options are worse, but uh-huh. maybe, maybe less of the, uh, maybe less of the armory and stuff like that. And, and less of just, there's just really no pass. Like the gate has to yeah. open and I think as we start, like Tolkien does spend quite a bit of time talking about the gate itself and talking about the geography at, at this point of Mordor. And, and the idea is that there's, there's this big plain that's behind mountains that has a huge lake in the middle of it or the Sea of Nurnan where there's all these, like, like basically it's a country. And, and one of the things I thought right yeah. away was that I think Tolkien is in some ways drawing attention that that what Saruman was doing in Isengard that we just tied up in the last book was, was really a pale imitation of what Sauron has going. And, and what Sauron has going is not a village or a, a tower of intellect, but he has a whole country that has just hordes. He, he has so much slave labor that he can have hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds and hundreds of slaves just sitting on the gate watching. So that mm-hmm. that's not to speak of his armies that are training you know, the fields that are being um, cultivated for food inside, you know, and around around the lake. So his his fortress is vast and it's impenetrable. Mm-hmm. And he's he really is, you know, he's not the sixth man. He's he's the big baddie. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and so finally admitted I, it. I think yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was going for something different with that back then. Yeah. And I regret everything. But <laughs> but we see it, and, and, and I think, you know, Frodo and Sam's first reaction is pretty obvious. Like, well, I mean, there's no way we're going to be able to get through here, right? It, and I think that's mm-hmm. pretty much an objective fact. Like, there's just no way mm-hmm. you're going to get through it. But they're going to try yeah. anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, it is interesting because Tolkien describes the landscape, and he, you know, and he gives us maps, too, Um in the book to look at and to think about. It's like when you look at Mordor, you know, Sauron's country on the map, it's, it's naturally absurdly well protected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it is, it's fenced in by impenetrable mountains. It has a water source, mm-hmm. you know, it has like, he's, you know, and it, even the place to the East, which would really be 
like the map kind of cuts off for us because the story's not about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, you know, he's allied himself with his only weak point on the map, seemingly, seemingly. right, right. He's he's lorded himself over the Easterlings, um, and so they're like, there's there's really not a threat from an incoming army. No, no, they would they would have to be so powerful that they can essentially like penetrate the gate that's made of iron and mm-hmm. withstand the armies that are there. You know, it's it's interesting too that he calls there there's two towers that are that are basically on both sides of the gate that mm-hmm. stand up against the mountain and, and they're called the teeth of Mordor. And and Tolkien writes that no one could pass the teeth of Mordor and not feel their bite unless you were summoned. And it almost occurs to me that like if you if you approach the gate and you're not summoned, then he's going to bite you. In other words, like he's going to hurt you. But mm-hmm. I think even if you are summoned, there's this kind of idea that you're being devoured anyway, right? That mm-hmm. because you're you're not going to you're not going to be able to keep anything because Mordor is a land of slaves and vassals, yeah. right? So even to be summoned and to enter through the gate when it's open is to be devoured, really, by the mouth yeah. that's that's opened right. out there. And then you know he's got his eye behind that mm-hmm. there's this there's this imagery of a face that's like that's facing out but like this huge maw right like almost a dragon maw that opens up into the black land and just takes anything right. in and yeah i that i think i think tolkien without without really he doesn't really give you sauron like mm-hmm. really you know we got that we got that one scene where he was the sixth man but other than that yeah. <laughs> Other than that, he he really is just a, a vague, you know, kind of shuddered. Nobody nobody really talks about him. It's just his stuff. Like he's so powerful mm-hmm. that he's surrounded himself, and no one can even think about dealing with him because he mm-hmm. has so much defense and armies and vigilance and all the stuff around him. And yeah. I think at this point, we're going to see real bravery in this chapter because Frodo now. It, you he could imagine what Gandalf had said or what Aragorn had said, but now that he's seen it himself, I think that's why this chapter is named the way it is, and I think that's why Tolkien starts us off this way: is that the real bravery is going to be exposed? Because why in the world would anybody go into that land? Right, you're going to mm-hmm. be devoured by it. There's right. there's really no hope. It's kind of an alien land that has nothing natural in it because he's completely destroyed it and and right. turned it into a slave state. Right. And, you know, and we do, we know from, you know, later in the story, like the plain of Gorogoroth is just a wasteland. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a desert that's, you know, that's got, you know, wind, biting, cold, biting wind and produces nothing, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, yeah, so his, like, his, he, you know, and to tie this back, it's, it's time. I think it's been too long since we brought Bombadil back in. Mm. But, when we, you know, when we think about that, it's like what comparing those two, what we talked about and what Bombadil is about is about dominion mm-hmm. and and stewarding dominion, and what we see constantly from Sauron is domination. Um, it doesn't mean that the land is any less his than what Bombadil has done. Mm. He has ownership, but he doesn't he doesn't steward it he destroys it he crushes it and that's his desire for everything to the west of him hmm. yeah it, it occurs to me there's also 
you know, I think I think a theme that's going to come into this is that, you know, that comparison with Saruman is that Sauron, because it's going to come in with Gollum and, and his interactions with Gollum, is that Sauron just trusts that basically anybody who's acting wickedly is kind of moving along with his plan. I think similarly, mm-hmm. Bombadil, Bombadil has clearly defined borders on his land, just like Mordor does. But Bombadil, Bombadil has patience with even the bad forces. Like he didn't go in and just, you know, kick all the barrel whites out. It was kind of a mm-hmm. dangerous area that, that that guards a border, but people weren't wandering around there. And he he deals with Old Man Willow, but he also thinks that that all things that are working for good, like they're just going to end up enhancing his domain and enhancing his dominion. He doesn't try to put them into slavery or thrall them. And I, I think that's a, mm-hmm. that's a stark difference that we get between the good guys. I mean, Gandalf is another comparison where what Gandalf does is that Gandalf, instead of taking slaves and instead of holding up goes and he tries to stir people up to virtue and he tries to mm-hmm. enliven and beautify. Think, think about how Gandalf talks about shadow facts versus how living things are dealt with in Mordor. Right. Right. Where, they're basically, you know, in this, I think it's notable that the steeds of the ringwraiths in this chapter are are likened to carrion birds, right? That right. feast on dead. And right. that, that's just a theme, right? Is that the good guys are all about life. I think Tolkien understood that evil ultimately worships death, loves death, you know, loves to spread death and domination and to, and to just take all of the life out of everything. And Mordor really personifies that in a way that, even even the dead swamps or the dead marshes, they they still had some life. Mordor, mm-hmm. as it's pictured, is just cold rock, and yeah. and it's interesting that he talks about he compares the orcs to black ants, and says that they're coming out of maggot holes, right? And then we we get into that more. The orcs talk that way. They they talk about worthless maggots and stuff like that. So it's almost like they've adopted that that language and that worldview of being a a creature that feasts on death and decaying mm-hmm. flesh and that's what this land is all about and i you know even even smeagol even smeagol and i think it it plays into what tolkien is is doing with gollum or smeagol is that he's not so far gone yet it's not only fearing that the ring would go back to sauron smeagol doesn't want to have any part of mordor he doesn't want to be a right. denizen of mordor because he's not mm-hmm. he's not fully gone, right? He's he's not a slave. He he's right. miserable and wretched. But he doesn't want anything to do with Mordor because the only people that want anything to do with Mordor are people who are essentially fighting for for their own survival, you know, to extend his domination and hopefully get some scraps from his table. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know that there's, and it is like, I think there's a lot to say. And I think, I do think it's, it's interesting because, um, Tolkien doesn't like in his way, you know, he, he gives us the scene, but he doesn't crush us with it. Mm-hmm. Even though it's, even though it is a place of desolation and despair. Um, he, he kind of, he, he leaves it to you to get there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and he uses, you know, like, I think the model of like the towers of teeth, like the teeth of Mordor, um, are, are a way to do that, but it doesn't, but he doesn't go further and say there to chew you up. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, he doesn't, 
He doesn't ever give you that mm-hmm. sentence that takes you all the way. That's true. But he, it, he sprinkles a crumb, right? Because Gollum, Gollum says, no use that way. Don't take the precious to him. He'll eat us all. If he gets it, mm-hmm. eat all the world. Again, yeah. a play, right? Yeah. He's he's moving on that path. And and that's those right. are the things you should set there. Sorry to interrupt you. Right. No, it's okay. Well, I think that, you know, we, we kind of joked on the lightheartedness stuff at the beginning, but I, I think that's a big part of what's going on is that it's really important to establish that the land of Mordor is a place of despair, that Sauron is a creature that sows despair, right? He's he's not someone, like you said earlier, I think Gandalf, Gandalf is um, someone who's who sows virtues mm-hmm. and we've we've seen that time and time again like he sows theoden to rise up and lead his people right he sows aragorn to wisdom and patience in his time mm. he sows frodo to uh wisdom and justice and mercy mm-hmm. you know not even knowing that he not necessarily knowing that frodo would encounter gollum but probably, but you know, in his foresight, probably somewhat expecting it, mm-hmm. and so he sows seeds of virtue in Frodo hmm. be- to not be taken by evil, and and so I think that I think that Tolkien, be- because he's so clever, that he's never, or I shouldn't say never, if I should say rarely, he's rarely heavy-handed with anything, mm-hmm. and you know, he he lets the reader, which is why we're doing this podcast in the first place, mm-hmm. <laughs> is to try and unpack these things and challenge ourselves and challenge others to do the same. Mm-hmm. But but we have to set the stage there because that's really critical to even though the the narrative is simple, setting the stage of the crushing weight and despair of Mordor is critical to the path that we're going to next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think I think that makes this line stand out that is I think really the key point of the chapter is where Smeagol says, Master says bring us to the gate, so good Smeagol does so. Master said so, wise master. Frodo says, I did. It says his face was grim and set, but resolute. He was filthy, haggard and pinched with weariness, but he cowered no longer, and his eyes were clear. I said so because I purpose to enter Mordor, and I know no other way. Therefore, I shall go this way. I do not ask anyone to go with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is the line of the chapter. That's what this chapter is about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. And so, you know, so what Tolkien's doing, and it's funny because all this stuff's in the first two pages. Like, <laughs> this whole chapter is built on building up that Mordor is a place of no return, that when you enter it, you're being chewed up. Right, like something that's chewed up is done. Mm. <laughs> it's it's used up and wasted. Mm-hmm. So he's he's built up this imagery of coming into a place that's going to chew you up and use up your life, mm-hmm. and right and control your life. Mm-hmm. And for Frodo to stand at the door of that place and say, "I'm going in." Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, it doesn't matter what it's going to do to me. I have to go in, and I'm going to go in. Yeah. And he, and he, and he lays no bond or burden on anyone to do it with him. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think this is one of those sections that really plays into that idea that Frodo is the priest figure, that he is going to make intercession for good by himself. And I think there's even more, there's even more credence to it when you see what he says because because Gollum begs him not to and Gollum makes a very silly mistake 
in his mm-hmm. twistedness and ask Frodo to give him the ring so that he can do lots of good with it, especially to nice hobbits. And then Frodo doesn't deal with that right now. He's going to deal with that later. But Frodo says, I am commanded to go to the land of Mordor, and therefore I shall go. If there is only one way, then I must take it. What comes after must come. I think in in his own way, I think that's probably drawing an allusion to Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem and towards Calvary, mm-hmm. going in knowing that his time had come. I think there's some some literary play there that Frodo has set his face towards the Black Gate, and he knows because he is commanded to go. But that commandment was brought on by his own will and his determination mm-hmm. and his resolve right. because he said that he would do it. And I think right. I think you get that like it is truly a commandment. Like, did the father did the father command the son to go die on behalf of the world? Yes. And did the son will to do it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Both the, both was in your place. Would it would it be true to say that Jesus sacrificed his life for his people because he was commanded to do so? That's absolutely true. But it's also absolutely true that he set his face with resolve based on his own choices and his own love. And I, I think we lose that a lot in our theology and thinking about free will and all these things. Mm. Fro- Frodo, Fro- as soon as as soon as Frodo, because he's a man of honor and he's a man of virtue and he's a man of tremendous courage, which the movie gets wrong. As soon as as soon <laughs> as Frodo has said that he's going to take the ring, that's really the end of the deal for him. His life is forfeit in this case. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't matter what the danger is. He has to try to avoid detection because that's his mission and that's his task. And I think Tolkien raises the stakes so high to show us here like it it doesn't matter what the odds are. Frodo's going to do what he's going to do here. Yeah. And luckily yeah. Smeagol you know Gandalf said his heart told him that that Smeagol had a part to play in this. And this mm-hmm. is one of the major parts that Gollum plays in the story because this other way that Frodo would have never been able to find and that really everyone would have told him not to use does mm-hmm. have more hope than the Black Gate just because of the geography of the other way, yep. right? You're not yep. going through a huge iron gate. <laughs> like right. just by the nature, it's still guarded. It's still got vigilant eyes all over it, but it's not a huge iron wall that you can't get through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, right. and so the enemy gets distracted by other things because of the wiles of other people, but that's that's for a different day. But I think it's right. true to talk about that, that Frodo, I, I think it is the key. I think you landed right on it. That really mm-hmm. is in the in the face of this obstacle, he's going to go on. And yeah. and Sam, boy, I think I think he, mm-hmm. I think he has some interesting stuff. I don't want to monopolize though, so no. I'll kick it. Well. If- I think it's, yeah, so there, I think, you know, just the sequence of the chapter is, you know, moving into this conversation about, like, Gollum intervenes and said that there's another way, um, you know, and, and Sam doesn't respond to Frodo's statement that he must go, uh, but, you know, Gollum starts pleading, mm-hmm. um, you know, and says, there's another way that uh, master says, I purposed to enter Mordor this way. So Smeagol is very afraid. You know, he does not want to lose nice master. Um, master is, you know, and he says, but master is going to take it to him straight to the black hand. If master will go this way. 
you know? And so like that part to play is really critical. And I think like this little, you know, this is one of those little sections that there's something going on. It's like, it's, it's kind of this sovereignty thing that like Gollum purposed to, like we know that Gollum purposed to catch them and take the precious. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> um, and he, he's in a position right now where he he can't do that by force. <clears throat> I know you talked about last week that Gollum is a character of cowardice. Mm-hmm. That you know he waits and strikes in the darkness and in the and in you know and usually from behind. Mm-hmm. And so he's not in a place to do that. At the same time, you know, so he, so even, even Frodo's move here, like this, the frontal assault, while it is in a sense, it's folly, um, because there's, there's no way to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, I think it's the sovereign, you know, placement of Gollum at this time, at this place to have another way. Um, and, and for his, even though it's for his evil purposes, I think is, eventually what I'm trying to get at is that even his evil purposes can, can serve the good. Mm-hmm. And those are things too, that we see, you know, we see often in scripture is that like Joseph's brothers had evil purposes, you know, against him and, and God used it for good that, um, you know, that Judah had evil purposes against Tamar, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like those were used for good. Like that's the line of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's, and there's lots of, Saul had evil purposes <laughs> for David. Mm. Um, and like, so I think what that communicates to me and I think what Tolkien is tapping into is that, and I think it comes, it's going to come around later, but that God's sovereign will is unmarred by the hearts and intents of men. Mm-hmm. Even though even though their hearts and intents are wrong, it doesn't change that God is sovereign over the end. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and Gollum, Gollum is an unlikely person to, to play that role because he is sniveling and he uses... Mm-hmm. He uses his wretchedness as a as maybe his chief weapon because his play is always to make people feel sorry for him, and he he does that with groveling, flattering language. He tells so many lies in this chapter, like like right off the bat, he calls Frodo wise master for telling him to take him to the gate. Gollum doesn't believe for a second that Frodo is wise to bring him to the gate, and and Gollum definitely thinks Frodo is unwise in in the way he's twisting his own words on the oath, talking about taking the ring back, talking about Frodo wanting to deliver it directly to the black hand, all this kind of stuff. And I think, I think it leads to this thing where Sam, we're, we're going to get good Sam stuff really soon. Right. And I, I don't, I don't think in this chapter that it, we're really led to believe that it's bitterness of Sam. I think that Sam mistakes Frodo's justice and his mercy for being silly or stupid. And mm-hmm. and Tolkien even says that that it's it's two things that are contradictory is that Sam simultaneously thought Frodo was the wisest person there was besides maybe Gandalf but at the same time mm-hmm. thought that he was too soft. And I think he's he's thinking basically that Gollum is going to take Frodo in that that basically this is a big lie obviously because the bad voice or stinker had come out on top of slinker. It, when they were having mm-hmm. their internal debate, and he thinks that, 
you know, Gollum is definitely up to no good here and that Frodo is just not going to see it because he's so soft hearted. But, but to his credit, Sam is, I think, learning from Frodo as it goes along here because Sam says nothing of this, Mm -hmm. right? He's just watching and we're getting an internal monologue from him. And Frodo is doing a wise thing. We see Gandalf several times early in the story sleeping, you know, like in, in Moria, when he doesn't know the way, he sits and he waits and he thinks. When they get to the gates yeah. of Moria, he waits and he thinks. You know, they they go there. They meet at Rivendell to get counsel. You know, and to think and to strike out a plan. And I think Frodo models this here. It would have been easy for Frodo to just say, "Oh yeah, well, I mean, obviously can't get through the Black Gate. If you got another way, let's just go that way." But mm-hmm. but Frodo sits and really considers everything, and he yeah. he's not taken in by Gollum. Right. But he's trying to mull through the information and think about yeah. it. And I think that that's a really good character trait of Frodo also that we see over and over with the wise in this story is that they Another are. Thing the movie got wrong. Yeah. They just missed Frodo horribly. Yeah. I, I, think they, I think they didn't understand the lordliness of him. I think they tried right. to, because it, it plays for emotional stuff. I get it. And, you know, I could open a can of worms yeah. say it's because we live yeah. in a highly feminized society. But but the idea of like getting in the feels and Frodo being above all kind and gentle in the movies is an element of him, but it misses that his kindness and gentleness is an outflow of his loyalty and his courage and his lordliness, that he is stern. Right. right? That he right. much like Aragorn and Gandalf, he is stern and he is resolute. Yep. He's resolved and his his yeah. soft heartedness is because he's compassionate and takes pity on those who are lesser than him, who are weaker than him, and that's yeah. how that's his interaction with Gollum, is he feels yeah. pity for Gollum because he understands what the ring does, but he also yeah. understands that Gollum is pitiful and wretched, and beneath his station, and so it would be low, for Frodo to be unjust, to Gollum. That would be a base, and and low thing to do. You know, kind of. Mm-hmm seeping into Jane Austen world there. But I know but I know mm-hmm. Tolkien thought that way, that there was chivalry and there was there was hierarchy. We haven't visited that in a while, but we see it really clearly in this chapter that Frodo is obviously in charge of this. That mm-hmm. that it's his decision. Yeah. Now we see the sternness come out and it has every time. Like that Frodo rebukes Gollum and calls him out for speaking, you know, speaking clearly when he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. his you know his motives um you know and and you know and yet like he's he's speaks firmly and says don't say it again you know and reminds him again that mm-hmm. the ring would crush him and destroy him you know and yet there is there is restraint and i do think that's that's the thing that sam's missing i do think it's important too because we were establishing last week the the arc of sam is that even from there to here and I think I think the the landscape of the last chapter is kind of playing with Sam, where like we're seeing the bitterness, we see the line where the black cloud has settled over his heart. Mm-hmm. We already see growth here too, in that every time Gollum makes a statement or a comment in the previous chapter, Sam has a retort, mm-hmm. like a biting retort. And while he still while he still thinks, you know, ill of Gollum and thinks you know, uh, you know, thinks retorts, he doesn't speak them aloud. And it is another step of his restraint and his growth to, 
you know, I think to listen and to consider, even though he's still snappy in his kind of, I think in his mental response, Mm. it's another, it is a step in his, um, I do think it's a step in his wisdom Mm -hmm. to, to see it, to take into consideration, to watch what Frodo does Mm -hmm. because Frodo is one who stops and considers. Right. Um, as you mentioned. Yeah. So in his sternness, I think it occurs to me, I'm going to read a, a fairly long section here. Um, I just put it this way. Um, if men always talked to each other this way, there would be a lot less bad going on in society and culture. So Frodo says that he's going to trust Gollum. He says, we've been in your power twice. Um, may the third time be best, but I warn you, you are in danger. Gollum mistakes him and says, yeah, we're in dreadful danger. I have to help you. Frodo says, I did not mean the danger we all share. I mean danger to yourself alone. You swore a promise by what you call the precious. Remember that. It will hold you to it, but it will seek a way to twist it to your own undoing. Already you are being twisted. You revealed yourself to me just now, foolishly. Give it back to Smeagol, you said. Do not say that again. Do not let that thought grow in you. You will never get it back. But the desire of it may betray you to a bitter end. You will never get it back. In the last need, Smeagol... I should put on the precious, and the precious mastered you long ago. If I, wearing it, were to command you, you would obey, even if it were to leap from a precipice or cast yourself into the fire. And such would be my command. So have a care, Smeagol. (laughs) So right off the bat, obviously, movie Frodo would never say a line like that. Right. Ever. Because that makes people clutch the pearls. Mm -hmm. But what do you think, like... Why is it so just for Frodo to say that? Why is this the loving thing to say? Yeah. This is merciful from Frodo. It is merciful. I mean, he's he's telling Gollum what the path of, you know, what we would say, like as we've done our analysis, like in, in this world, like what sin does to a person is what the ring does, mm-hmm. is that it corrupts your mind, it corrupts your body, and it, you know, its outflows are purely evil. And when you lust after, you know, it, when that, uh, you know, when that thought gives way to lust, it gives way to full corruption and death. And so I th- he's, he's warning Smeagol again that there's still time. There's still time to not dwell on the lust of the precious because the lust of the precious is going to destroy him. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, there's obvious foreshadowing right (laughs) right here um you know as we know the rest of the story but it's you know it's it is it's a merciful thing to say that you are walking on a path of destruction Mm -hmm. and you need to snap out of it Mm. right you need to fight your senses you need to fight the desires that are corrupting you so that you, because Frodo does not, I, I fully believe Frodo does not desire Gollum's destruction. Hmm. You know, unlike what we would say in the last chapter that Sam does desire that unjustly. Yeah. I, it, we, we have utterly failed at this, I think, in, in our culture, because what is, you know, I think it is the feminization of our, of conversation and of the tone and I don't, I don't mean that as an affront to women because women's speech is amazing in the sense that women, women are 
they invite in and they make comfortable and they nurture and they they soften blows. But when men men are talking to one another and they need to deal with sin, this has been lost because I think we fear pain more than anything. And so the threat of getting punched in the nose keeps us from telling each other the truth, even though there's very few men who would actually punch you in the nose for telling the truth. And and the idea that's that's permeated us is that men just need to be nice and that that's the highest virtue. What will women respect you? Well, if you're nice. You know, how do you get a bunch of friends? Well, if you're nice. And and I submit here that what we do is we nice people all the way to hell. Where what Frodo is doing is obviously he's trying to save Smeagol. He he was mm-hmm. doing it in the swamp. He's been doing it with this whole mission with mercy, you know, with with saying in the last chapter, you know, I had hoped you would eat it. It could do you good, but maybe you're not ready yet. You know, the Frodo's holding out hope that Smeagol is going to have reform, that he's going to repent. And I think he he amps it up here because Smeagol has revealed his temptation and his sickness mm-hmm. and his, you know, his blindness to his own mania and sin. And he just, he points it out. And I just, you know, in, in sermon prep, I think last week, you know, pre, you know, preaching about elders and just thinking about leadership in general, there are just precious few men who will talk to each other this way. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think a lot of good would be served if we would just talk to each other this way. Like it's, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. Now Gollum, I think in response to it, acts like an American man. And that what he does is he basically just starts crawling around on the ground, you know, being a being pouty. He he won't talk anymore because he's mm-hmm. damaged because Frodo did violence to him, and you know, I think Tolkien is making a play on it. It's like why is Gollum so wretched? It's because he's abandoned the path of wisdom. Yeah, he will not listen to wisdom. Frodo is giving him a lifeline here once again. Like Gollum. Gollum could have been a tremendous help, right, all the way through here. And Gollum could have had an honorable death. All the things that he had done wrong could be reversed with him being faithful just in this mm-hmm. story. But Tolkien, tragically, that's not yeah. the path for him because it, you know, it rarely is the path for people who have gone in one direction so long and who build themselves in pride and who don't reject the thing that they lust after. Right. And that was the fate of Saruman, too. Yeah. So the path gets revealed, right? Yeah. Frodo almost has to draw it out of Gollum, just like Aragorn drew the whole story out when they were walking in the wilderness. And he talks about the crossroads, and one way goes to Osgiliath, one way goes down south into Herod, and where in you know where the sun is really hot, and Sauron's mm-hmm. allies are everywhere, and then to the east to the Morgul Vale or the Morgul Valley. And I know this was a spot that you had tagged in talking about old Gondor, you know, history, you know, Gollum gets into that. And I got some stuff too, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I think it's interesting um, that I think is because Gollum, you know, he says there's a third way. Uh, and and he talks about old Gondor, you know, he talks about, so there's a couple of things that, um, you know, he talks about the banks of the great river. Uh, in the willow lands when the river was younger uh, it says he began to weep and mutter and I think that there's hearkening you know back to that's you know that's where we know that he pulled the ring out of the river 
so that he was living by the banks of the river at some place. And so there's, you know, I think there's an element of his home and he's remembering the stories of his region. You know, he says they're stories of the South. And I think it's interesting. I think what it tells us is that um, kind of what we talked about before we started is that Gollum, you know, Gollum is knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. We talked about his craftiness um, last week and his ability to navigate the marshes. Uh, obviously, he knows a path into, you know, into Mordor um, through another way than the Black Gate. Uh, but here, too, he shows his knowledge of history where, you know, obviously he's quite old and grew up and, you know, grew up in a in a different era of the world when Sauron was dormant or silent. Um, and there's, you know, there's tales of the south of the great kings. Um, and I think... You know, I think I just think it's interesting because he's aware of it. He knows of uh, minus Ithil. Um, he knows about Isildur. Um, you know, and then you know he even knows uh, he knows about Isildur cutting the ring from the hand of Sauron. Mm. Um, so that that's obviously you know an epic tale in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And he, he does make a line. It, it it also indicates his fear of Sauron that he has four fingers and that's still enough mm-hmm. <laughs> to crush his enemies in a sense. Um, but I, I don't know. I think, I again, this is one of those sections that I was like, I'm kind of trying to put my finger on it mm-hmm. and I haven't quite gotten there. So I wanted to talk about it mm-hmm. of like this, this Gollum knowing the history of the world of this region, you know, and, and what we're doing with it. Yeah, I wonder if he got if he got some of that information from Sauron himself, you know, when he gets caught and he's getting tortured, like obviously at this point, Sauron has to reveal a couple of things to Gollum. Like he's revealed now that he wants to know where this ring was that Gollum had. And Gollum tells him Baggins has it. So Gollum now understands which ring it was. And so Gollum can probably think back now and thinking of the stories Gollum Gollum would have probably, you know, as a river people, or maybe he's gone and spied and basically mm-hmm. sought out the story, you know, once, once you know something, you know, the, the good guys in this story had to piece everything together backwards, right? Like that's what Gandalf did in book one at the very beginning was he, yep. he started with a ring that he couldn't explain and then had to work backwards from that all the way down to the whole history of it, including Gollum. I wonder if Gollum, like once he understands from Sauron, Sauron mm-hmm. that he, he tries to work his way backwards, or maybe Sauron even talked about in his rage or in his impatience would have said something like this. And I think it shows this, this binding, right? That Frodo and Sam and Gollum, at least at some level, understand that they're in the same story now, right? That, mm-hmm. that this thing is continuing on. I know Sam's going to, I think they make that explicit later, Right as they're talking about the story that just keeps going, right? That even they're even connected to like Arendelle, right? Like that all these stories are still going on, and Gollum yeah. is a part of it. And in some way, I think Gollum may know that. And I think it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a contrast because while Gollum understanding this story kind of shows hope, right? That he has fear of the black hand that only has four fingers. He says that's enough. But at the same time, he is now, like, when as this chapter moves on and that Frodo's asking questions about the road and Gollum describes Minas Morgul and his sleepless eyes that are worse things than orcs up there. 
mm-hmm. and then he describes a stair that goes around it. You know that at this point, Gollum is scheming, right? And and what he's done is he he wants Frodo to go this way because it gives him the best chance to retrieve it. Because Sam was right in the sense that Stinker had one out, and he's w- willing to let it play for longer because he has these little schemes running. And I think it shows even more his betrayal because Gollum, Gollum is not a – um, witless patsy here. Mm-hmm. He understands his place. He understands how important the ring is to Sauron. He understands the stakes. And I think that's a really important thing that I never thought about until you just started asking questions about it. And even kind of on air here is it, it kind of shows mm-hmm. the wickedness of Gollum that Gollum at least has an idea. Gollum knows what will happen if Sauron gets the yeah. ring. So he knows right. the stakes and yet he wants the ring so badly for himself that he's willing to sacrifice the world to get it. Yeah. And it's his wickedness mm-hmm. and he knows what he's doing. And I think mm-hmm. that takes some of the pity away from him because mm-hmm. he's going to start scheming, you know, now. And he's I think he's right. tortured by it, but but he's still letting the plan go in. Now it just so happens that the plan is probably a better one than going straight at the black gate. Right. <laughs> There's more chance than right. than going the black gate, but that but he you know he won't even name the tower that the stairs go through, and everybody's horrified mm-hmm. at the name of the tower, mm-hmm. right? Everyone that hears about it is terrified that they went that way. Yeah, and I think Gollum yeah. probably knows the name of it too. Right. I mean, he knows everything yeah. else that's going on around there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that I think that makes sense and. You know, I think establishing the stakes, establishing the history that, that you know, they're living and making decisions in the history of <laughs> of the Great Ring and what that means, mm-hmm. you know. And there's, and it is like, I think there's the, you know, there's the virtue and I guess the anti-virtue mm-hmm. of both characters in play here. Yeah, it's, it's right there because cause Frodo keeps pressing Gollum on, is this way not guarded? Right, and right. we we saw earlier in the in the key point, right? You you said it, and it's the key point that it says Frodo was clear eyed, even though he was haggard and filthy. His eyes were clear, right? Mm-hmm. Now we get all these windows into Gollum's eyes, like when when he's asking if it's guarded. Sam asks him. He says it sounds too easy to go up these stairs. Mm-hmm. He says, "Is that path still there? It'll be guarded too, wasn't it guarded?" It says as he says this, he caught or fancied he caught a green gleam in Gollum's eye. Gollum muttered but did not reply. Frodo says sternly, is it guarded? And did you escape out of the darkness, or were you not rather permitted to depart, as Aragorn said? Gollum goes ballistic at that one. Mm-hmm. He says it's a lie, and he says that Aragorn lied on him. I think I think what we have to see there is that Frodo's, Frodo's eyes are clear and resolute. He's on mission. Gollum's eyes light up with evil and wickedness, because Gollum's all about lying. And I think he he definitely he thinks he got out. I think Frodo's convinced of that, but Aragorn was mm-hmm. right. Saruman or Sauron let him out, right for sure. Yeah, because you because you don't and like we've established the you know the terrain and the teeth that you don't walk. <laughs> one does not simply walk into Mordor, but one does definitely not walk out of Mordor. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a key line that I never understood, you know, as a kid, as we move on in the story, that 
Sam, I think, has the realization that that all the fortresses of Mordor were actually to keep you in instead mm-hmm. of to let instead of to keep you out. Yeah, it was interesting. I I think it's in this chapter, and I should have highlighted it, but I, I kind of lightly noted it in the back of my mind that I think the windows look northeast and south mm-hmm. uh, in the Towers of the Teeth, which is looking at the borders of Mordor, not out. Because mm. uh, cause the, the, the orientation would have those windows facing west. I may try to, if we're... I may try to find it and confirm that, but because I thought it odd, you know, like I, I generally try to have the geography of the land in my mind as we're reading along, mm-hmm. um, just as a just as a cursory thing. Yeah, they so stared north, kind of, east, and west. It was northeast and west. Yep. Yeah, um, which is still interesting that you know that two of the windows are facing inward and only one is facing out. Mm. Um. So I don't, you know, but, but I do think that it's clear that like, yeah, to leave Mordor is, you know, for him is by permission only. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's allowed to escape and, and, yeah. And Aragorn knows that because he knows, like he knows, <laughs> he knows who Sauron is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's, it's been a study of him, you know, as he's grown up in exile, you got to know your enemy. And mm-hmm. that's one of the great advantages that the good guys have is that Sauron is groping around trying to figure out who his enemy is, right? He knows mm-hmm. of Gandalf, but but even Gandalf is kind of shrouded still. Like, they're running around mm-hmm. under cover of night. They're hiding their troop movements, you know, and obviously everything Frodo is doing is with stealth, and Sauron can't even imagine the threat that is coming at him because he doesn't think that way. He would He would never think to send... You know, a weak, you know, a seemingly weak, insignificant person with this object into his very fortress. Like he sees that idea as just being complete madness, right? That he doesn't mm-hmm. even consider it. It's not even a thought in his mind. And so, to him, it really is about keeping his slaves in, right? That's <laughs> he's he's secure in his own strength. And I think it's very notable that with all this going on, that that you know, that the forces are swelling into Mordor as we're talking, right? Because they hear something, and here comes this big, these troop movements, right? Where there's always people, that these the Southrons are coming in now to, to come into the Towers of the Teeth, right? And to swell mm-hmm. the ranks of Mordor and to be consumed by Sauron and become a part of his kind of almost faceless armies. And it, for me... For me, I think the only thing I've really got left is probably getting your thoughts on Sam's poem that kind of shifts this mm-hmm. thing into action. Yeah, I think that's probably it as well. I think we've talked, you know, over the... I was trying to um, come back and see if I had any other notes, but I think that is it for me. And so, yeah, so then, you know, they're talking about... So essentially, um, a, there is a troop of men that go by uh, and... You know, so they they hunker down and wait it out because um, they have decided to to go to the. I was gonna say um, this line. Uh, no shoot, I had it and then I lost it. Um, <laughs> oh, the name, the the pass, right? Its name was Kirith Ungol, mm-hmm. a name of dreadful rumor. Mm-hmm. Aragorn could perhaps have told them that name and its significance. Gandalf would have warned them. You know, mm-hmm. that they were alone, Aragorn was far away, and Gandalf stood amid the ruin of Isengard and strove with Saruman, delayed by treason. Hmm. 
you know, it's a <laughs> man. <laughs> and I think that it's a clever, it's a, a couple of things on that line. It's a clever little thing, right? That, that connotes the terror. It also, I think it also informs us that, that the hobbits are without their wise guides mm-hmm. that they've been with for much of the trip where they need it, where you'd feel they need it most and gives us as the reader, you know, the, the dreaded tower that is a fearful thing. And then he's also cleverly placing us back in the timeline of the other story mm-hmm. <laughs> of, right. of where everyone is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a neat line, but yeah, I think to jump ahead, do you have anything to, to add on to that? No, just a, you know, while that's going on, there's Nazgul flying around too. You know, right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just to show you yeah. like Sauron's watching. Right. He's, he's definitely yeah. watching his borders and right. Yeah. Figuring things so, out. I think, right. I think they see four of them, mm-hmm. you know, at this point. Yeah. So then, um, so there's more people coming to Mordor. One day all the peoples will be inside is what Gollum says. Again, I think affirming what, <laughs> what the desire, yep. like it's a prison. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, he says, were there any Oliphants in, in Mordor forgetting his fear and eagerness? No, no Oliphants. What are those? And then Sam says a poem that, you know, describes what, what Oliphants are. And, uh, it says that he said when he recited, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a rhyme. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a strange thing. I think I just kind of questioned it because, I think the poem is interesting and I think it's something that Sam's looking for because they're in the foreign land. It's like he knows they're on a mission, but there's, I think even still like there's this, um, this mystery and maybe a magic to, to things that are unknown and unseen. Um, but it's, it's, I think, and maybe it's even there just to lighten things a little, (laughs) You know, but I I am kind of curious. Like, what's your take on why this conversation about Oliphants is right here? Like, why is this placed? Um, I think, I think that at least for now, that Sam is kind of back. That he, like, I think what happened is when Frodo shows his wisdom in dealing with Smeagol the way he is, and in questioning him, in bringing his rebuke. I think Sam is really bolstered. Like, man, good. He he really is the wisest person I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think that Sam, what Sam does, because because we've we've said it over and over again. What's Sam about? Like Frodo is about destroying the ring. Sam is about helping Frodo, right? Just right. being with Frodo. And I think once Sam is relieved of his nagging doubt about Frodo being taken in by Gollum, that for Sam really his heart's light. Like, mm-hmm. he's fine. Like, okay, Frodo's good. He's wise. He's everything I thought he is. He's not, you know, he's not getting taken in. So now I want to turn my mind to more important things and sit on the edge of despair <laughs> and talk about lineage, right? Which is essentially what he does because he's talking about tales they heard out of the South in the Shire. And so uh-huh. while they're sitting at the gates of hell, essentially, with the Towers of the Teeth, with Nazgul wheeling around, wheeling around all over the place, Sam says... Hmm. I wonder if they have any oliphants. <laughs> and and I think that very ingeniously Tolkien gives us this play that that's where Sam's at, but Sam because now he's back to being the stalwart, you know, 
lighthearted, like the the one who's just loyal, the one who's optimistic, right? That mm-hmm. that shakes Frodo out of his hesitation because I think Frodo was Frodo says his desire. He wishes that Gandalf was riding in at the head of a white one so they could bust their way into Mordor. But it says Tolkien says that all his hesitation was gone. I think it's because mm-hmm. now Frodo knows, hey, this is a thing that I'm that I have to do. I'm commanded. I think this seems a better way. And so I'm going to trust you the third time, Gollum. Warnings have been given. You know, councils have been dis- have been considered. Here we go. And mm-hmm. I think Sam is integral to making that decision because Sam has yeah. to be. I think Sam has to be aboard with the discussion, and I and I think he mm-hmm. is now because he knows that Frodo is, you know, has all of his wits and and is not yeah. and is not blind. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, the line, it's funny, you know, it says Frodo had laughed in the midst of all his cares when Sam trotted out the old fireside rhyme of <laughs> Oliphant, <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, and the laugh released him from hesitation, hmm. um, you know, and so uh, that may be a good, do you have anything else to add? Nope, your turn. Because it's definitely, it's definitely me for, <laughs> I'm very happy. For to run with. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that last line as a cue. Um, I was kind of deliberating between two options, and I think this one's the more fun one. Um, and I think it's it's uh, it's the thing of laughter. It's it is really interesting where you know we're we're on the doorstep of despair uh, in this chapter, and a weighty decision by an untrusted, you know, unqualified advisor. <laughs> <laughs> is to be considered um and sam's levity brings laughter and removes the hesitation mm. from frodo and i think i think there's i think there's a lot of i think there's a lot of uses and power in laughter right i think there's times when there are times when we need to laugh at our enemies at the absurdity of their wickedness mm-hmm. i think there um or the absurdity of the wickedness of our own hearts right is to laugh at the thoughts mm-hmm. that like if Sam had laughed at the bitter thoughts right in the last chapter, he would be doing his heart good to, to stray from like from the growing black cloud that settles on his heart against Gollum. Mm. And so I think, I think we see in this short little thing, right? It's a little poem, but it's, it's levity and the laughter of Frodo frees the care of Frodo. I think, I think there is a lot of power in laughter and, you know, I think again, like the cultural commentary thing is like, it's a thing that, uh, you know, for us to not take everything too seriously Mm. is that there's a lot of humor in the world and, and laughter is also just, it's, it's a relief of the cares of the world. And for us, especially knowing that those cares have been take those, the burden of care has been taken from us. Mm. Right if we die, it's gain. If we live, it's Christ. Mm -hmm. And, and so like we can laugh at the ills of the world and release the burdens that sit on us. Mm. That's really well said. Um, I think for mine, I'm just going to hit it right on the nose and, and say that, (laughs) you know, we, we stay in a time we've, we've talked about it often. I don't think, I don't think that it's being hyperbolic to talk about as, as Americans, it would be easy for us to, I think, wish maybe that we were in a 30-year-older generation, you know, so that the battles of our day wouldn't be here. 
I think I think every generation in their in their covetousness wishes to be at a different time. Um, I think that sometimes for us, we look at the things that we're supposed to do. That what we're supposed to do is um, raise our kids in the admonition of the Lord. That we're supposed to be faithful husbands and wives. That we're supposed to be faithful, dutiful churchmen and women that we are supposed to call our magistrates to task when they sin, that we're supposed to be involved with what's going on in the community, that we're supposed to love our neighbor, that we're supposed to to witness to those who hate God, to those who are going to, uh, to revile us for preaching the gospel. And I think we look at all those and we see the promises of God that the nations would come and they would they would love his law, that they would see it as a mercy. And we think about that and we think there is no possible way. It looks like... It looks like our task is extremely impossible, and I think what we're called to do is just like Frodo. For us, it really should be this simple. We're commanded to do it, and so we have to do it. And I think sometimes we're haggard, sometimes we are dirty, you know. Sometimes we're weak, sometimes we're grieving over losses, and we're concerned about things that that are okay to be concerned about. And what we have to do is that we have to remember who's commanded and whose power that we're really under. And I think in some way, Tolkien is giving a nod that Frodo understands that that there is there's destiny involved here, that there is sovereign, you know, power involved, and that there's a, there's a path that he's on, and that him and Gollum are intermingled in it. And and it's hard for him to understand. But I think this chapter ends where it begins is notable looking at an impossible task and where it ends is notable that he's going to trust, you know, the circumstances that have been put in front of him that progress the mission and he does it. And he's, he's not worried about what's going to happen to his life. He's worried about doing what's right. And I think that that's what we have to do. So that's my straight, straight down the middle one. That's basically applying the main point of the chapter to our world. But <laughs> I think it gets lighter for us next time, right? And uh, mm-hmm. we get to meet a new character, the young captain of Gondor. <laughs> so until then, take care and join us again next time on Twilly or The Way Lesser Inklings, whichever you prefer. 